Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Ten words to start off. Stop whining and play ball. You overpaid you-know-whats. I, I, I am fascinated by this story about Major League Baseball and the reality, at least I, I think a real chance, that you're going to have hockey in the summer, you're going to have a resumption of the NBA season in some form in the summer, and you are going to have no baseball season this summer, as unbelievable as it is, because the players, they're not happy with well, only making $7 million for the highest paid players. This is really an amazing story. Our number, by the way, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me kind of walk you through the background on this. Owning a Major League Baseball team is, in many respects, it is a license to print money. Sometimes, and I, I've said this before, I cringe a little bit when you have the story saying, oh, the Brewers lost this amount of money this year, they just made a little bit of money, because the, the, the bottom line, if you own a Major League Baseball team, you know, when, when you sell that team, you are going to make a fortune. You know, you, you buy a team for $400 million, and then 15 or 18 years later, it's worth over a billion. That, that's an incredible return on your investment. And, and yes, it might be that to operate the team, you take a little bit of a loss in a given year. But that, to me, is like saying, gee, I, I bought a house in 1982 for 200000 I sold it in, you know, 30 years later for $900,000, and there was a year where I had to put a new roof on it, or there was a year I had to put a new furnace on it. You're, the, the bottom line is own, owning a, a home in many areas, owning a, a Major League Baseball team, it is an appreciating investment. And there may be certain years that you, you do better than others, but at the end of the day, when you ultimately get ready to, ready to divest yourself of the asset, you are going to make a ton of money. So there's only so much sympathy I have for the owners. Having said that, though, what is going on right now and the fact that we don't have an agreement for the players to come back and play baseball is absolutely appalling and I lay it on the hands um, at the feet of the baseball players. So here, here is the deal. The season was supposed to start at the end of March. Remember all that? And then of course you had the pandemic that hit and what happened is Spring training just suspended. The original plan was let's send the play. We'll keep the players together. Hopefully, we'll be able to start. And then they were talking about maybe Memorial Day. Now the, the plan is the, the Fourth of July or around the Fourth of July. You play a, a, an eighty-one game season, so you play half of the year. When when this was originally worked out back in the beginning, back in spring training when they shut it down. The owners went to the Players Association and said, okay, here's what the deal is. We are willing to prorate the salaries. So let's assume that we only have half a season. You know, we'll, we'll still pay you your full salary for half that season. Okay, it, it, made, it made sense at the time. 
The one thing that wasn't on the table, though, and wasn't considered was what happens if you're going to play the games, but you're not going to be able to have fans in the stands. So you're not going to be making revenue from parking. You're not going to be making revenue from tickets. You're not going to be making revenue from concessions. Well, at that point in time, you know, it, it's not fair to say, okay, we're still going to pay you your full salaries for on a prorated basis because the owners aren't getting the money in. There, there's a, a really interesting interview with Mark Atanasio, who I think is a really straight shooter, in, in the journal Sentinel today, and here's what he explains. He says, okay, the industry has approximately $9.4 billion in revenue. So let's round it up. Let's call it $10 billion. If we only play half a season, that revenue is only $5 billion. Only $5 billion, but you get the idea. But then this is the key. Mark Atanasio says 40% of that revenue is live gate related. In other words, the, the money that's spent by the fans and the tickets. So if you play the game without fans, all right, you, you take away $2 billion, and now you're down to, to $3 billion. You know, still a, a lot of money, but nowhere near what you would normally be getting. He said the exact number that's been calculated by the league is that if we play 81 games without fans, we, we get $2.85 billion. So he says very quickly you go from $10 billion to $5 billion for half a season with no fans and only 60%, and that's what you've you've got. And, of course, it's, it's more extreme for... Uh, teams in small markets where you don't have the huge TV contracts and you don't have the huge revenue contracts. So what the owners are saying is, look, we can't pay you your full salaries under your contracts for half of the season because we're we're not going to be getting you know the the revenue that we anticipated. We're going to be getting substantially less than that. So what the owners have done is they've rolled out a deal where they've proposed a, a sliding revenue scale, and this is very similar to maybe what's going on in in, in your place of work, where um, and look. A lot of people have been furloughed. I mean, I'm just looking at what you've got half a million people in Wisconsin alone who've either lost their jobs or they've been furloughed. Many, many, many others, as a condition of keeping their jobs, have seen their, their pay reduced. You know, maybe it's been, you know, and, and typically what happens at companies is that when they do salary reductions or pay reductions, the people that make the most money, and I, this is fair, I guess, take the biggest hit. So maybe if you you know if you're one of the top 10 percent you know maybe you take a 20 percent pay cut and then maybe there's people that take a 15 percent pay cut and there's other people that take a 10 percent pay cut but that's kind of how they do it in the real world that it's a sliding scale in order to keep the business open that is what the owners are proposing they're saying look we we can't just pay you your contracts on a prorated basis because we've lost all this income. So their deal is, you know, what we're going to do is we're looking at playing 82 games. We're going to group players into tiers based on on salary, just like in the real world. You know, again, that the top 20 percent of earners, maybe they take a 20 or 25 percent pay cut. The next 30 percent take a 15 percent pay cut. You know, you can play with the numbers. So what they say is here. Here's the deal. Players are going to be grouped into tiers, and the, the bigger pay cut is going to come percentage-wise from the people in the higher tiers. Um, a player whose contract is set to pay him $35 million for the whole season would receive almost $8 million. So it, it's a substantial 
pay cut. There's no question about it. It's not half. Half of seven. Half would be seventeen point five million. So you're only getting eight million dollars. I say only getting eight million dollars, but you know you're, you're only playing half a, a season, and it's in front of empty stands. A player pay, making one million dollars would get four hundred thirty-four thousand. So it, it's still, in the scheme of things. I would argue that yes, it is a million better than four hundred thirty-four thousand. It sure is, but four hundred thirty-four thousand is nothing to sneeze at. Just ask the people who are driving delivery trucks for Amazon or UPS, who are working for like nine or ten or twelve dollars an hour at Walmart or at Metro Mart or all those things. Ask them what they think about four hundred thirty-four thousand to play baseball for a couple months and then for the higher paid players yes yes it, it's a pay cut yes you're not getting 17 million or 20 million but you're still gonna get seven or eight million our number eight five five six one six one six twenty that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line I, i'm sorry I, I think this one is an absolute and total no-brainer this is a time where i think if you care about the industry you are in what you do is you suck it up, Buttercup, and you say, you know, it's still, even if I'm only playing for a million instead of three million or four million, I'm still playing baseball. It's still money that is coming in, and you know what? That is more money than most people are going to make in 10, 20 years, maybe in a lifetime. And, and yes, I'm going to turn my nose up at it. Sorry, no sympathy here. And I think if the players can't get their act together, they're going to suffer a huge public relations black eye because it's going to be tough to go to the general public. Again, the people who are have lost their jobs, have had their pay cut, or who have been working through this pandemic, it's going to be tough to go to those folks and say, well, um, gee, we're, we're not willing to do this because we don't want to put our lives at the line and on the line and risk playing for only $4 million or only $3 million or only half a million dollars. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Marcus on the north side. Marcus, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks, Jeff, for taking my call. Excellent show as usual. Uh, you just nailed my point on on the head there. I'm, I love Brewers baseball, but here's the reality of the situation. With the, what's going on in the workplace, the pandemic, and with people's wages, people are being furloughed. People are not going for this, well, I, I need to get the full salary. Remember what happened to uh, Sprewell back back in the day with the Bucks, where he said he couldn't feed his family. He well, I'm sorry, he was with Minnesota, right? Knicks. Guess what? Yeah, I think he was with him? the Knicks. Yeah. It, it, what? Yeah. Yeah. So, so the public, it was an outcry. You cannot tell the public that you cannot live off of four million, four hundred thousand. I like to give it a try. I like to give it a good try. You know. Uh, right. No, no. Thanks. No, no. Thanks for the call. No, I, I'm with you. No, see, and, and this is you want to talk about players being completely and totally tone deaf on this one. First of all, it, it is it is a game. We miss it. I'm a huge baseball fan. Look, I, I, I cannot wait. And I'm, I'm really hoping that they can kind of get their act together. But I mean, I when you look at the economics of this. And you, you break it down, and I thought Mark Atanasio did a great job of saying this. Look, th this is what the revenues for the industry is. And, and, yes, we wanted to pay people on a prorated basis, but that was assuming that we had fans in the stands and paying for parking and buying concessions and all that stuff. Well, that we've lost that. So, you know, we're... 
you know, we're, we're probably maybe even going to lose money if we end up having to pay these full prorated salaries. And you know what, Major League Baseball players, you, you've got a short lifespan as far as a, a professional career. Do you really want to go a year without getting any money at all? Now, now maybe for the highest paid players, that's not going to be a big deal. But don't you also understand how this looks? 855-616-1620. We pick it up right there. If you're on the line, please hold on. No sympathy for Major League Baseball players. And I'll tell you, if if they decide to sit it out because they don't want to agree to this sliding scale plan, I, I think this is going to hurt baseball for years. Back with more calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, what do they make if no baseball is played at all? Well, they don't make anything. Players don't players don't make anything. So your what you're doing is I mean, you're, you're foregoing, especially if you give the fact that a lot of players have limited careers. I mean, it might be one thing for the, the, the big superstars that are going to be out there who are, are going to be making just a ton of money moving forward, assuming they don't kill the game. Um, but, but you know, so maybe you can say, okay, well, I'm due to make $30 million next year, so what do I care? I can sit out a year. It's not going to hurt me. But what about the players who, while while well-paid by normal people's standards, by real-world standards, aren't these players that are going to be making millions of dollars, but instead, you know, they, they might make oh, a few hundred thousand dollars this year. Can, can you pass that up for playing a game for a couple months? Jeff, the Baseball Players Union has made stupid moves like this, strike short years, etc. It always hurts the sport. Completely selfish and tone Death. Um, Jeff, I'm self-employed and getting crushed. My wife is an ICU nurse taking care of COVID patients. Zero sympathy for these millionaires on both sides of the dispute um, who every 25 years end up blowing up the sport. Yeah. And, and again, see, for what you got to understand is what the baseball owners are doing, in my opinion, it's like what lots and lots of companies are doing in order to continue operating. And what they're saying is, you know, we're, there, there's going to be across-the-board pay cuts. That, that's just the reality. And, and the people that make the most money, well, they're going to end up taking the, the biggest numerical pay cut because they're trying to do it in a fair way. And that's you, you might not like it. I don't think anybody that's had that happen to them necessarily likes it. But it, it's what you do. I think it's the right thing recognizing that we are in an unprecedented time, and in the case of the baseball players, recognizing that once you get through this season, hopefully next season is going to be normal and everybody goes back to, to business. 855-616-1620. Kelly in West Dallas. Kelly, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, yeah, I yes, have ma'am. no sympathy. None. These guys are whining over millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And like you said, people are out of work. They can't pay their bills. They can't pay their mortgage. You know, if I got even cut down to a couple hundred thousand a year, give me a break. They can survive. <laughs> Why don't they use this extra money to help people like in housing or food pantries or, you know, or whatever? Yeah. And your, your screener did say, well, they're worried the money is going to these billionaire owners. That I don't agree with. That should never happen. Use the money for people right. who need it. Live off your hundred thousands or millions and wipe your nose and put right. your big boy pants on. 
Well, we're right. And and again, look, sports is a distraction. I, I'm I'm a big baseball fan. I'm a, I'm a big basketball fan. Yeah. And all those types of things. But you know, it's a distraction. The, the bottom line is, it's not real life. I would like it to come back because I I want to I want to have that thing to do in the evening or the afternoons. You know, listening or watching listening baseball games or watching baseball games. But you know what? I can I can live without it if it doesn't come back. It's a distraction. Um, and and if it's this situation that you it's the, the pure greed. I mean, I'm I'm. That's sympathetic it. to I the gal who's the cashier at Metromart. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, thanks for the call. Hurt. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, you're right. They're going to hurt the sport. And, and that, that's what happened after the last, you know, the, the 1982 strike. It's what's happened after you've had the, these this laborer strikes at all. And, and look, and, and maybe you maybe you tweak the formula a little bit. You know, maybe they, they say, okay, well, you know, we, we need a little bit more money or, or whatever. But this idea that, oh, we we, we got to get – we have to get half our salaries, even though you, ownership, you know, you're not making half the revenue that you anticipated. To me, that, that's just pure greed. And, again, it's not like we're talking slavery here. We are talking about substantial sums of money for a limited period of time. And then some of the players are saying, well, we don't necessarily want to put our health on the line. Oh, for goodness sakes, give me a break. You know, you know what's going to be happening. You are going to be in the most controlled situation around. You're going to have the best medical personnel that are going to be monitoring you on a regular basis. If I'm going to be worried about somebody getting sick, I'm worried about the guy that's driving the truck and making the deliveries to 20 or 30 grocery stores in a given day. I'm worried about the, the person who, again, is behind the checkout counter at the grocery store or whatever. You know, those are the people, not, not some baseball player who might be concerned. Bill in Racine. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Bill. The big thing I've got to say is you've got to hold up the bottom. All those guys that are making bottom, what? Yep. Two hundred grand, three hundred grand. Give them a break. Hold the bottom up, and and ask the ask the rich ones to back off. Right, and that's pretty much what that's. No, thanks for the call, Bill. And that's see, that's pretty much what they're doing. The way I understand this, and um, is is the the cuts. Are, are it's much more significant. Now, I don't know what the minimum salary is. I, I don't know what the minimum salary like a first-year player or a player would, would make to play baseball. But, I, I mean, I, I do have the numbers. Like they say, uh, you know, ESPN is saying if somebody's one of the highest-paid players in the game, you're scheduled to make $35 million for a whole season, you'd, you'd get $8 million. All right, which is it's it's a lot less than half, but it's still eight million dollars. A player making a million would get four hundred thirty-four thousand. So they they are they are to your phrase they they are holding up the bottom. Now I understand some people are saying, well, this is going to sort of divide the union, and it, and it and it does because there's a lot more players that are making you know one or two million than there are that are making this enormous amount. So it it is clear. That you know, there's a lot of players who are probably sitting there and saying, "Hey, look, I I don't know that I'm going to be playing 12 or 13 years. I mean, this, I might be one or done, or I'm kind of coming to the end of my career. I, I gotta, I want to get what I can while I can get it, and I don't want to sit out a, a year." You wonder about a guy like Robert Ryan uh, Braun, for example, who's in his last year with the Brewers. This was supposed to be a very very high paid year. He, he's not going to make anything close to what he was scheduled to make. But at the same time, this might be Braun's last year in baseball. I mean, who, who knows? It certainly is. Last year, I think, making the type of money that he's making now. So are, are you willing to just forego it? Bottom line is, if the players think that they're going to get much sympathy by sitting this one out, 
I, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. Okay, back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. One, one final wrap-up on the uh, on the, our conversation about the baseball players deciding they're not going to play. We have one guy who sends a text. So the guy complaining, this would be me, about no baseball this year is the same guy hiding in his basement working for the last 10 weeks. <laughs> like, oh, okay, well, to which I, I, only, I don't respond to trolls as a general rule, but every once in a while I just I can't resist. I'm like, hiding in my basement. Well, don't you mean working at home is directed by his employer? <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's, sort of, that's sort of it, you know? It's like, oh, you, know, you, you guys, you, know, you, you people who are working at, at home, you're, you're just hiding, you know? It's, well, I think, like in my case, you, you kind of do what you're told and you, um, you just move on. All right. I am very pro-police officer. If you've listened to, I've been here at TMJ for 22 years. I've been on the air in this market for 25. People know my background. I'm a former federal prosecutor. I am pro-law enforcement. I am also one of these people who recognizes what a difficult job a police officer has, and I am reluctant to second-guess split-second decisions that need to get made. Because, you know, I mean, it's It's easy to be a Monday morning quarterback and to look back and say, okay, well, you know, the, the person the person made a, a gesture, you got a report, you were investigating somebody, and the report said they had a gun, and they, they you know, pointed this thing at you, and it turned out to be a squirt gun, and you shot. It, it's easy. It's easy to second-guess these decisions. In addition to that, I think everybody who wants to criticize police officers should, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. I, I often talk about this phrase that drives me crazy. It was a routine traffic stop, for example. Well, nothing's a routine traffic stop. You know, you, you never know, you know, you're a police officer, you've pulled a car over because there's a taillight out or because it's speeding or, or whatever. You, you don't know what's happening as you're walking up to that car. You don't know if you might be walking into a situation where, I, I don't know, it's just, I don't know, it's some suburban mom who's driving home and didn't realize the taillight was out, or instead it, it's somebody who's just killed that suburban mom, is stolen her car, her body's in the trunk, and this person is prepared to shoot it out. That, that's an extreme situation, but you just flat don't know. And, and so that's why I, I always am inclined to cut police officers a degree of slack. I, and, it just, and, and I know that infuri- might infuriate you at, at some point in time, but that's just kind of the approach I have to this. Having said that, though, when you see behavior which clearly strikes you as being unjustifiable and beyond the pale, you you, you can't look the other way. And this story out of Minneapolis from two nights ago is one of these stories. And I I know you have perhaps seen the, the video, the aftermath of this. But I will tell you something, from my perspective, it is one of the most difficult things, and this is a former member of law enforcement, it is one of the most difficult things to, to watch that, that is imaginable. Now, if, if you haven't been following the story, what, what happens is about 8 o'clock on, on Monday night, the, the police get a call um, reporting that there's, there's somebody who's suspected of, of being involved in forgery. So they, they show up, and they find the guy who ends up being the victim. His name is George Floyd, 46-year-old African-American man. When the police get to the scene, and again, they're, they're, it's not a crime of violence. They're not coming to, we, we have a murder, we have an assault. 
They're, they're showing up to investigate a report of a, sus, a possible forgery. All right, whatever that means, whether it's bad check or check kite or whatever. Okay, so the police say that they they get the guy. He's arrived. They arrive. There's some question as to whether he was on sitting like on the hood of his car or whether he was in the car. And the police report said he appeared to be under the influence. He was ordered to step from his car, and the department says he got out. He physically resisted officers. Officers were able to get the suspects in the hand, into handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. The report says the officers called for an ambulance. All right, well, if you've seen the video, it's, it's a lot different than, than that summary report. Now, the, the video doesn't pick up at the time of the arrest, so you can't see whatever struggle occurred. But you have the video picks up. There are multiple police officers standing around the man. He is handcuffed on the ground. So he's handcuffed. There's multiple cops there. He's handcuffed. And there is a police officer. And if you want to put the racial component into this, the victim here is black. The police officer is white. And the police officer has his knee on the man. The man is kind of like face down on the concrete. And the police officer has his knee on the back of the guy's neck, restraining him. And it goes on and on for several minutes. The, the video says, and you can see, the man is saying, I, I, I'm sick. I, I'm sick to myself. I can't breathe. Get off my neck. I can't breathe. There are people in the crowd that are saying, oh, let him up. Let him up. He's already handcuffed. So he, he doesn't pose a danger to the police. And yet the officer, and this goes on. I mean, it's difficult to watch. It goes on for three, four, five minutes until eventually the man loses consciousness and he ends up, he's dead. He, he's just, he's dead. Now, in Minneapolis, the, um, they have policies which, I, I guess, allow you to restrain somebody by you know, putting a knee on your neck during the uh, arrest. But, you know, you're, you're only allowed to use it for the force that you need to be objectively reasonable. And I think what's striking a lot of people is the fact that this man, the police, are on this guy's neck for four or five minutes after he's handcuffed. He, he's on the ground, and he's saying he can't breathe, and he's begging to be let up. There's also a whole bunch of police officers around. And I think the overriding question is, all right, once you've got the system under situation under control, once you've got him restrained, there's a bunch of police officers there. He no longer poses the danger. Why don't you take your foot off, take your knee off his neck, and then, you know, there's two or three cops. You pick him up, you put him back in the back of the car, and you drive off and you take him into custody. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you have heard about this case or if you have seen this case, I invite your comment. I just, there is, in my opinion, no excuse for what happened. It, the four police officers who are on the scene have been fired. I fully expect that there will be criminal charges against one or more of the police officers. And I understand that you don't see in the video, you don't see the takedown. You don't see the degree of struggle that he engaged in. But you do see a man who no longer is in a position to defend himself being held and restrained while somebody puts a knee on the back of his neck for 
what seems like forever. It's about four or five minutes until he loses consciousness. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I see no justification for this. I, and I think, you know, I, again, I don't want to go into this rush to judgment, but this one is pretty clear cut. And I don't condone what's going on in Minneapolis. You have a lot of riots that are there, and this is going to be sort of the, the latest cause celeb. This might be the latest Rodney King type of thing that, that occurs. But in this particular situation, you you got to wonder, what could these cops, particularly the one who had his knee across this man's neck for what seems like forever, what could they have been thinking? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sometimes there's gray areas, and no pun intended, but you know, in, in Baltimore, you, you had a number of police officers who were charged and ultimately acquitted in connection with the death of a man in the custody, Freddie Gray, who was in the back seat of a car. That was one where I think there were a lot of questions to be asked. This one seems pretty clear-cut to me. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with your calls in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Before we go to the call, a couple texts. Jeff, I'm in law enforcement, and this type of behavior is appalling. The suspect should have been helped up, and the other officer should have mediated and told the officer to stop what he is doing. Another text, Jeff, this is such a sad story. I had to stop watching the video. The worst part is all the good cops who don't act like this are now all judged accordingly, and to which I say amen. That that's, That is part of the problem, that you, you have an example of this, and then people automatically assume that this is how every police officer is going to behave, and it makes it so much more difficult to be out on the street for the 99.9% of the people in law enforcement who would never dream of doing something like this. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, uh, I've watched the video several times, and this was just this was just a murder of another. This was just a murder of a black man. The fact the fact is that the police officer first of first of all when they called it in, they lied and talked about the man was already seemed like he was he was uh, under influence yeah. or like he was he was ill or something like that. But even after that, when you see the video of them st- standing around while this man is begging for his life, yeah. he's begging for his life, saying he doesn't and he's in feel well. He- He's in handcuffs. He's not a threat. Under no circumstances could you consider this guy to be a threat to anybody. And he's, you're right. He's saying he can't breathe. He is restrained. He's in handcuffs. How can you do? How could anybody do something like this? It, 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 it's horrible. It, it is horrible. It reminds me of the situation of the, of the man who was selling cigarettes in New York. And, and also when right. they took him down into the chokehold, he was begging for his life. He said he was, couldn't breathe. And, and, and what, 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 what does it mean? I can't breathe. Just, 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 just give me a break. I can't breathe. And, and you continue to do what you do and choke, choke a man to, to their death. To their death. Right. You know, uh, uh, the fact is, is that uh, uh, this kid couldn't be tolerated, can't be tolerated. I'm glad they're fired. But there needs to be some serious, serious uh, consequences, right. including jail time, for what these guys did. Now, Vincent, thanks for calling. I, I, I don't disagree. And again, I don't, I don't want to participate in this rush to judgment. But look, I, and, and I, I don't, you know, you, there, there's the racial component. I, I get it, which makes things worse. But to me, that this wouldn't make any difference one way or the other. You had a sub subject, and again, I, I go back. It's not even like it's a murder thing. You're, you're, you're there investigating a forgery for good, or a potential forgery for goodness sakes. And, and maybe even if he resisted arrest, he's under control. 
he's he's handcuffed. He's on the ground. There's four police officers there. All right, he there's you you pick him up and you put him in the back of the car. You don't just put your knee on the back of a man's neck pushing his face into the pavement. It's really clear. This isn't close. Um Steve in Michigan. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I just calling, um, I watched the video, and, and like you, it's really, really super hard to watch. Uh, you know, police veteran, 25 years, and, and done my time on the road and made traffic stops and all that nonsense. But here, here's the real, here's kind of the, the problem that we have, is that uh, sometimes it's a culture thing in police departments, and, and we've seen that yeah. before. And the other, the other part that is really important is the training part for the younger police officers um, that are coming up, okay? So you, mm-hmm. you get around, and you've seen in this video, there's a lot of police officers just standing there. They yeah. can see that this is completely yeah. wrong, and they're not doing anything about it. So yeah. it's important that you don't fall into that and that you understand um, that what you're doing is something, especially like this, it's, it's viral. It's going to spread all over the country super fast so you have right. to be very careful um one thing i used you know, to, 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 to that what no to, to that let me just to that point everybody's got a cell phone nowadays and it's not like this was something that was going on in a back alley there's a crowd that's gathered i mean the, 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 what what could the cop have been thinking that's got his knee on the back of his neck as he's begging for his life you know there's got to be people taking cell phone videos of that i mean that the, the whole right. thing is just so mind-boggling that you would number one do it and you would do it where you, you were it's just it's it's mind-boggling i guess Right. Well, the other thing, you know, and you said that race isn't a component. It is not a component in this thing. It's just treating people like people. You know, you should treat people, everybody, as, as fairly as you can. And, and years and years ago, I, you know, uh, bringing kids in the department, I remember telling them the way that I do it is that I put my mom's face and my dad's face on everybody I see. Yep. Would I want my mom? Would I treat my mom like that? Would I treat my dad like that? You know, and that's, yeah. that's the way I used to I, roll. So, no, thank thanks for the call, so Steve. And I, I think, no, yep. no, I think that that's great advice. And I mean, look, this is, I, I and look, I, I get, I am criticized from time to time, and that's okay. I'm a big boy, you know, for being, you know, pro-law enforcement. And, and I've tried to explain that where my orientation comes from because it's a tough job. But at the same time, you, you see stuff like this, and it's almost impossible. It is, imp- forget almost, it is impossible to watch. I kind of, I was in the same vein of uh, the, uh, you know, one of our people that, that sent us a text. I just, it was I, I'm not sure if I wasn't doing this for a living and wanted to see the whole thing so I could discuss it. I'm not sure I could have watched that. Um, let's talk to Eddie and Franklin. Eddie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, yes, you know, sir. I watched this thing several times, and, and yeah, it, it was shocking. It was hard to watch. But the telltale thing here is in his voice, when he's pleading, he knows. He knows he's getting ready to die if these guys don't let him up. And the people that were around were also like, hey, let him up, let him up. They were begging for some compassion from these police officers, and they weren't having it. They they, they just were like still. They weren't moving. They were just on this guy. And at that point, it's like it becomes a murder. I mean, literally, when you, we have no compassion for this guy, and he's on the ground, and like you said, they, he wasn't going anywhere. They, they had him under no. control. You could hear it in his voice. He was 
he wasn't being violent at that point. He was huh? like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I can't breathe. You got to let me up. You got to let me up. He, he knows he's right. slipping. Right, right. It's and just, of course, it, again, it, I mean, it's yeah, it's hard. I mean, it, it literally, it, it's, it's, it's even hard to talk about. No, thanks for calling, Eddie. And again, there, there, there's no reason to do that. You, you know, and see, I don't care. Again, in, in Minneapolis, apparently this technique that the officer was using is, is something that they are allowed to use. Believe it or not, they don't consider this to be an example of, of using deadly force. They're, they're, they're allowed to use it. But you're, you're only allowed to use it. You know, any force that you use has to be reasonable. Now, again, I, I didn't see the video b- beforehand, so I, I don't know whether, you know, this was something that was necessary in the beginning to do to get the guy under control. But we, we know he's on the ground, he's handcuffed, there's four officers standing around, he's not going anywhere at all. And at that point in time, you as the police officer who have the power to take somebody into custody, you also have resp- the responsibility to make sure that they're they're not hurt that that you know whatever if there was if this was reasonable in the beginning it sure as hell wasn't reasonable you know after 3 or 4 minutes period now my guess is that you're going to see homicide charges coming out against one or more of the police officers the the police union i understand they've got their job they're saying you know we we you know want to avoid a rush to judgment okay that that's all well and good but at the same time this is, I think, pretty clear that there's no justification for what happened here. I, I hope, I hope cooler heads are able to prevail. But you know, this, this is again, it's it's a black eye to law enforcement, and it's going to further, you know, damage police community relations, not just in Minneapolis but all across the country. And it's going to make the job of good cops a lot more difficult. And and that's a secondary tragedy. The first tragedy, of the course, is a guy lost his life for no reason. The second consequence is now, again, it's going to be tougher to convince the overall community, and particularly the African-American community, that that not all police officers are out there looking to strangle you if they end up rolling up on you after a police call. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. As I was looking at what we talked about in the last hour and what's coming up for the next two hours, this is one of those days that I guarantee if you stick with me all three hours, there will be segments that you say, Jeff, you're just right on. I, I agree with you. And there will be other segments that you probably disagree with me on and, and maybe you, you've been made angry. And that, that's okay. That, I, I want One of the things that has guided the way I do a show for all the years I've been doing a show is that I, I always try to take the personalities out of this. And, you know, when, when we have talked over the years about the, the left-leaning bias in the media, I, I've always made the argument, all right, let's switch this around. Let's say that instead of Barack Obama, this was George Bush. How would this be handled, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, that's the thing. I think that's a fair way to go. But, you know, turnabout is fair play. You also, I, I think, uh, again, if you are a conservative and you say, all right, this is something that somebody I otherwise support has done. How would I feel about this? Now, it, there's, there's no secret that Donald Trump writes his own rules. He, he behaves in a fashion that I don't think anybody has seen from a president ever, 
and and it's a style that I guess works for him to an extent. It's a style that puts a lot of people off. There, there's no question about it. And it's a style and it's a ta- a techniques that, in some cases, the people that love President Trump just, I, I think, maybe love some of the stuff that, that he does. But at the same time, a, a lot of people who want to like him and want to agree with his policies, still, you, you reach a point where you say, I can't believe he really did this. I think over the last few days, President Trump might have gone through his... Well, it, it goes back to an attorney named Joseph Welch, who back at the, the Army McCarthy hearings in the 50s kind of put an end to Joe McCarthy by, by simply asking this question, Sir, at long last, have you no sense of, of decency? And, and it really kind of hit home. And I think to an extent that may be a question that it's fair to ask of President Trump. At long last, have you no sense of decency? And I, I, I don't take any pleasure in saying that. I, I have been, if you're regular of this program, you know that there's a lot of, a lot of the things that, that President Trump has said and done over the last several years that it just I found to be cringeworthy. The, the comments he made about John McCain, for example, you know, an American, a true, in my opinion, American hero. That the comments he made about John McCain to me crossed any any sort of line. But you've been seeing something that, that's come out lately, and I, I mentioned this briefly yesterday. And I got—I uh, didn't open up the segment for phone calls, but I, I got a pretty significant response with people feeling strongly on both sides. And it's convinced me I want to revisit this today. If you haven't been following the series of tweets that the president has been sending out, here here's the, the story. And again, my, my comment is, at long last, sir, have you no sense of decency? Joe Scarborough, Scarborough is a host on MSNBC. He he was in the beginning he he was somebody Trump appeared on all the shows and on his shows and stuff like that. But Scarborough ended up breaking really bad, and he has been very very critical of President Trump, and President Trump has been very very critical of him. All right, that that's that's fine. You know, it's it's that's what's going to happen. You know, if if you're a commentator, especially a liberal leaning commentator, it, it's it, it's money in the bank to criticize President Trump, and President Trump he he, he does not just take it he he responds okay so here's the story back in 2001 joe scarborough if you haven't followed this was a congressman who was getting ready to retire he's based out of florida he had an, an a local office in fort walton beach florida had a 28 year old woman who worked for him she was one of the people one of the aides that worked at that local office what happened is one morning, a couple constituents go over, they have an appointment, they go into the office, they find the woman, she's dead in, in the office, right? So what happens is they go out, they, 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 they call the police, they conduct an investigation, they do an autopsy. What it turns out happened is this 28-year-old woman had, had a heart defect that nobody, nobody had ever, it was an undiagnosed heart defect. And what appears happens is that she because of the heart defect, she she went to stand up or something and passed out. And on the way down, she hit, smashed her head into the side of a desk, causing a subdural hematoma. And and she was there overnight. She passed away. It is it is a horrible, tragic story. She had a young husband as well. They, they, they come in, they investigated, and it's just. It's one of those very sad things that happens. There's no evidence at all of foul play. It's just a, a medical condition. 
So President Trump, who's mad at Joe Scarborough, has been using this case to go after Scarborough in a series of, of tweets. Here, For example, here's a couple of them. A lot of interest in this story about Psycho Joe Scarborough. So a young marathon runner just happened to faint in his office, hit her head on his desk, and die? I would think there's a lot more to this story than that. An affair? What about the so-called investigator? Read the story, Mr. Trump tweeted on Saturday. All right, yesterday, new tweets. Here's what he tweets out. The opening of a cold case against Psycho Joe Scarborough was not a Donald Trump original thought. This has been going on for years, long before I joined the chorus. So many unanswered and obvious questions, but I won't bring them up now. Law enforcement eventually will. All right. Now, the parents of the young woman are still alive. They've been saying, for the love of God, stop. Stop. Don't. Don't bring our our dead daughter into this. The woman's husband. Now, this is, I mean, this is going on 20 years later. The woman's husband is saying, for the love of God, stop. I mean, this is, you know, you know you've got now the President of the United States using the, the death of this woman in what was a, a tragic medical circumstance to kind of further his his own ends and they're begging him to stop they're going to twitter and saying you, you take these tweets off this is just this is causing us all this incredible pain and if you know look if, if you've ever lost a loved one if you've ever lost a spouse you understand that that you, you, you get on with your life and maybe if you're fortunate you find somebody else to spend your, your life with but but that that loss never goes away and now for the husband of this woman, you, you find this, it's just, it's brought up again. And, and it's the President of the United States. And, you know, your wife who died under these circumstances. And, and, and the family accepts this. You know, an affair? There's no evidence that she was having an affair with Joe Scarborough. It, it's just completely made up. There's no evidence of any sort of foul play. She had a medical condition. It resulted in this tragic set of circumstances, and she's been dead for 20 years. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there any excuse for this? And, and is there... Is there another side uh, of this? Has the president gone too far in this particular obsession? And like I say, Joe Scarborough, who cares? He, if, if the president wants to go off on him, I, I, that, that's fine. That's, if you feel that that's what you want to do, that's okay. But to, to bring up this situation and to use the death of this woman under tragic circumstances 20 years ago, to me, I, I think it's fair to ask this question, you know, at, at long last, have you no sense of decency? And, and it doesn't have anything to do with President Trump's policies and whether he's a superior candidate and should be reelected over Joe Biden. That's, that's not it. It's just, what kind of person does this? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and let's, let's have a discussion. I understand whenever I go down this route, it's, oh, you just love Biden, etc. No, I, this, this to me is a situation of basic human decency, period. Case closed. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, please stop obsessing over Trump's ridiculous tweets. Focus on his policies, good or bad, and discuss issues that matter. Trump has been sending obnoxious tweets long before becoming president, and that will not ever change. Okay, well, fair enough, but let's let us be honest with this. If you had... Barack Obama doing something similar to that, sending out tweets like that. We, we know that the people on the right would be absolutely outraged, and that would be a subject of conservative talk radio on a daily basis for, for weeks. All right, G- given, given that, yeah, I understand you've got the policies that are out there, and that, that's all well and good. But at the same time, it... I, I, the, the tweets have been bothering me, I admit, for quite a while, and this idea that they're not going to change, well, I, maybe so, but it doesn't help. Here's a text, Jeff. In what world does this help him politically? Do people only get their news from him or Twitter? Is he playing to his base? If the base believes him, we have bigger problems than this narcissistic behavior. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, great show, as usual. Um, is, in answer to your question, what kind of person does this? I, I think it's someone with a severe personality disorder, uh, a full-blown narcissist, and God forbid if he's a full-blown megalomaniac. And I'm a Republican, um, so, so I, I'm saying that um, I am very disappointed in, in how he comports himself. He is so unmeasured that it's, it's just unbelievable. And you're right. If Barack Obama had had behaved this way um, on television or in speeches or in quotes, um, the the, the right would be going ballistic, you know. And and I I am so disappointed in this president. So disappointed. Now, thanks for calling. I I guess the the disappointment in the way you comport yourself. And and, and look, ultimately, the election is going to come down to, you know, a, a comparison of. Of, of different choices, and we're going to have the whole discussion about a binary choice, you know, whether it's going to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. But but that doesn't mean we can't talk about some of this stuff. And and I guess, I, I mean, the Wall Street Journal, which is one of the few, you know, conservative editorial pages in the country, they've got an opinion piece out today. It's called A Presidential Smear. And, you know, and it's, it's again, it quotes some of the stuff, and it says, you know, Look, doesn't he realize that by doing this stuff, he's debasing the office and he's, he's hurting the country in doing so? And again, I, I understand politics isn't beanbag, but this, this one is so over the, the, over the line that, you know, and it's, again, it's not just you're, you're going after your enemy, Joe Scarborough. It's that you're, you're bringing up the memory of this dead woman who, who's, got, who's got a husband who, you know, has to read this crap. And she's got, you know, a father and a mother who have to relieve, you know, relieve this, relive this stuff. And, and the idea that you got the President of the United States implying that their dead daughter from two decades ago, you know, was, was murdered or had an affair with Joe Scarborough or all this type of stuff. It, you know, it, it is beyond cruel to do something like that. And, and I'm sorry. And I understand that, you know, if you're a Trump supporter, sometimes people think he can do no wrong. But... Again, I go back to this, at long last, have you no sense of decency? I mean, it's one thing to mock your opponent. It's another thing to invoke the legacy of, of a dead 28-year-old and to cause all this pain to her parents and to her husband. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, Troy in Wauwatosa. Troy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hey, well, thanks for taking my call. You know, um, I appreciate you uh, telling it how it is all the time. And, you know, I just find, I'm just wondering, when are we as Americans going to wake up and look at the character of a person? Um, you know, Trump holds the highest office in, in the land, and the character that he portrays to the people is is of someone who is, it doesn't matter. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to say what he wants to say. When are we going to wake up and realize that the character of a man really does matter um, when it comes down to uh, our lives as people? You know, how, when it comes down to him, you know, denying the alt-right, who, you know, different things with those that situation. But it just it comes down to the character of the person that we want to be leading us. And I'm sorry to say, you know, I didn't vote for him, but when he won, I was like, in support, hey, we got to support our country. But when you look at the character of this person, it's something that I can never support ever again or would. Well, I, and see, and I wonder, see, the other thing, with Troy, that I, I legitimately wonder is that why does he think this this helps him? Um, you know, again, you, you have, you have a, a dedicated base that's 35 to 40 percent of the electorate that think that you know you, you can do no wrong but that's that's not enough to get you reelected. that's not enough to win wisconsin that's not enough to win pennsylvania that's not enough to win michigan and, and i gotta think that there's just a, a lot of people who see stuff like this and go you know it's it's one thing to do to tweet after your opponents but it's another thing to say wait he's he's implying that there was some shenanigans in connection with the death of this this young girl and he keeps doing it after the family's begging him to stop i mean who does something like this? exactly well and, that, and that's exactly it too you know when the family has come out and said please do not do this but he says well i understand that they don't want me to do this but i'm going to use this anyways i mean that's like i said that comes back to the character of that person and what does that say about him as a person? I mean, to me, it doesn't say too much. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm a perfect person at all, but, you know, at some point in time, we have to make a decision that we want someone that's going to be trustworthy enough to be in this office and not to demean the American people, not to try and crush people, not to try and take a family and destroy their name when their daughter had nothing to do with anything. It was an accident. She had a seizure. You know, it's been proven medically. But to take this and try and make it something of his own, um, to me, is despicable. Thanks, call. I, I appreciate it. And again, I'm, I'm, I, I, and I understand I'm getting all sorts of texts from people say, oh, you're just a Biden lover and all this type of stuff. I, you know, no, I have all sorts of problems with Joe Biden. I, I, I do. And I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how I'm going to vote. I mean, I, I, I think. I think a lot of the shots over the years that people have taken against President Trump have been cheap shots. Um, as I often say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. And I, I, he's thin-skinned. I, I understand all that. But every once in a while, there's stuff. And I've, I've tried to stay out of the Twitter wars. I, I just I, I have. I mean, I've kind of watched this go by. You could talk about this stuff on an everyday basis. But there was... There was something about this, and maybe it comes from the perspective of somebody who's you know lost a spouse. There was just something about this that that I think kind of crosses crosses the line. I mean, it's one thing if you want to, if you think it's in your interest to mock John McCain, a prisoner of war, or to you know go after you know people. It, it, it's one thing to do that. It's another thing entirely to invoke you know the the death of somebody's spouse or somebody's kids, uh, somebody's kid. 
and and just for your own political gain. And again, I, I, I conclude this the way I started. When I was watching this, I was thinking about those Army McCarthy hearings and Joseph Welch is saying, at long last, have you no sense of decency? Uh, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us on a wonderful Wednesday afternoon. What um, one of the few institutions, one of the few events that has not been canceled as of yet, of course, is the Wisconsin State Fair. And uh, we're anticipating that they're going to be making an announcement in the next day or two. As we've discussed on this program on multiple occasions, from my perspective as a huge fan of the fair and somebody who has enjoyed working the fair, doing the broadcast from the fair for I don't know, I think 21 out of the last 22 years or something like that. I look forward to the fair every year. I, I think as a practical matter, and I try to live in the, the real world, it, it's just not going to happen. It, you know, maybe you know, maybe they can figure out something to do to do a livestock auction or something like that. But they had 1.1 million people that came through the fairgrounds last year. And, I mean, part of the fun of the fair is that you're there with crowds, and you've got the midway, and you've got the sky glider, and you've got, you know, walking up that the giant slide, and you've got people piling into the expo center, and, you know, just walking, and there's, there's all the different vendors that are there. And then, of course, it's all the food that's there. It's just, as a practical matter, the state fair is something that thrives on large groups of people getting together and congregating. I mean, think of all... I mean, think of all the stages that they have. I mean, you're you're together at picnic tables, or you know, you're you're sitting on bleachers together. It's just as a practical matter. If we assume that by the end of July, or I guess the state fair is August sixth, is when it was supposed to, supposed to start. So you're talking about you know nine, ten weeks from now. You know, do we think we're going to be at a point in the state in this country where we're ready to have? Tens of thousands of people, you know, get together. And, and the answer is it's just not going to happen. And it's unfortunate, and I understand there's going to be, you know, financial loss, just like there's been a huge financial loss to all the other vendors who travel around and, you know, work the different festivals and things like that. But as a practical matter, I just don't see how it's, it's going to be able to happen. To give you an illustration of this, um, Disney World. Now, you know, Disney World is, of course, a state fair on, on steroids, you know, where you have just a, a huge amount of, of workers, you have a huge amount of money that's on the line. We were, I've been telling this story before, my brother is a huge fan of Disney, and we were scheduled, my wife and I and my brother and my niece and nephew, we were going to go to Disney World, um, or let's see, we were supposed to leave, let me look at my calendar here, we were supposed to leave Thursday, June 11th, and we were going to come back June 18th, so I had that vacation scheduled. Well, it, it became apparent to me about a month, a month and a half ago that this just it wasn't going to happen, and as I've often said, I think people need to find their own comfort levels, and I, I will tell you, I'm, I am not uncomfortable going into stores. I'm not uncomfortable going into restaurants as long as they're practicing social distancing. The idea of, 
you know, getting on an airplane and flying down to Florida and then renting a car or getting on a bus and going to Disney World and, and going in and, and being in a crowded sort of environment. I'm not there yet. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not paranoid about this, but at the same time, I'm, I'm avoiding large crowds, and I think that's going to be the case for a while. Well, anyhow, this, this whole thing became academic because last week, you know, Disney World started like canceling all our reservations, and they've just announced today that they're going to be opening uh, July 11th. That's what the plan is. They're going to reopen on July 11th, but um, e- even at that, there's, there's going to be a lot of restrictions on it. They're not opening up all the parks. They're going to open up the Magic Kingdom, and they're going to open up Animal Kingdom. But the other stuff is, is going to be, um, the, the other stuff is going to be limited like this. They're going to limit capacity, I believe, to 25 percent. No parades, no fireworks, no meet and greets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and so, I mean, the bottom line is they're. Even though they're opening up, it's not going to be anything close to the experience that you would expect if you're going to pay all the money to go to go Disney World. And I don't know if the restaurants or how many restaurants they're going to have open, but it's just, yes, Disney World is going to be open, and yes, they're going to be gradually opening stuff up, but the, you know, the first wave of stuff, it, it's not going to be like the Disney experience, period. And, and I guess I look at that and say, if, if that's what Disney's got to do, what does that tell State Fair? And it doesn't have the resources that, that, that a, a Disney World has. You know, if Disney World doesn't think it can open up to mid-July, tell me how the State Fair thinks that it can pull something off three weeks later. Um, and again, if, if you're going to say, all right, we're going to do this, in such a scaled-down version that it's only going to be 10 or 15% or 20% of what the experience would otherwise be, maybe it's just best to say, okay, we're, we're going to take the time off. If you're a vendor, I mean, my, my goodness, I mean, one of the reasons you pay the money you pay is you want to go there and you want exposure to 1.1 million people. That's one of the great things that the State Fair offers. Unfortunately, I just don't see that happening. Now, can you do some fun stuff? Can you do, uh, again, a cream puff sales in the parking lot or something like that? Absolutely. You could do some stuff like that to try to keep, I don't know, the, the memory going. But as a practical matter, I, I think, unfortunately, a large part of summer 2020 is just being written off as a casualty of the coronavirus. All right, when we come back, it's going to cost you more. Do you mind? Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, it has been a, a difficult time for businesses in the era of, of COVID nineteen. I mean, you, you could have. You had a business with the, with a couple narrow exceptions, maybe the grocery stores and things like that. Um, it, it's been a, a rocky time. You've had the government, in many cases, which has ordered businesses closed, that really at the drop of a hat. It's one day you're open, next day, boom, you are not allowed to open. You've had other businesses which qualified as quote-unquote essential businesses and they're allowed to stay open, but at the same time, the pandemic has just completely and totally killed the the demand. You know, we were talking about uh, we were talking about Disney World just a couple minutes ago. Well, I I had a flight. We were scheduled to fly down to Disney World on June 11th. Well, okay, I, I'm not going to Disney World, so that doesn't that means I why, I don't need a flight to Orlando. So you know, we we canceled the the flight. We were going to fly Southwest, but it's the same thing. I mean, airplanes. They were essentially flying almost full, 
and we're planning to fly almost full as you work through like the spring break season into the summer, there's no demand because lots of places are still closed down. Lots of people have lost a lot of their discretionary income, so you know they're they're maybe not in a position to spend the money. It's just a tough time for everybody. So now people are, are starting to go back to work businesses are starting to open up and there's an interesting thing that a number of those businesses are doing john mccure actually touched on this on wisconsin's afternoon news yesterday and i thought it was a very interesting conversation there is a story that i am looking at out of um that's a fox news story and it's talking about how there are these restaurants and i don't mean to single out restaurants but that's the example they give there are restaurants all over the country who have been, again, shut down, are only starting to reopen. And what they're doing is they're they're putting stuff on their bills. For example, this is the story I'm looking at. A $2.19 coronavirus surcharge spotted in a receipt at a restaurant in Missouri started a backlash, but the restaurateur who operates the establishment saying he's only trying to make ends meet. And, And the story goes on, and it talks about how lots and lots of businesses... Not, not just restaurants, but other businesses as well, including businesses that provide services. Maybe it's the guy, maybe it's the plumber, maybe it's the guy who services your air conditioning unit, maybe it's the electrician, maybe it's the painter, etc., etc., are starting to add COVID-19 surcharges, not necessarily raising their rates, but they're adding surcharges onto the bills. And they're saying, look, we, we need to do this. Because, you know, we're, we're trying to make ends meet. We've, uh, in the case of restaurants, what you've seen is you've seen food prices, especially given everything that's going on in the meat industry. You know, go, go to the grocery store and you see a lot of products are costing more. So what the restaurants are doing is they are adding charges in to cover, the, adding extra surcharges in to cover their extra costs. You know, maybe, again, Maybe it, it's the service provider that's been out of work or had the demand for their business cut down dramatically. So what they're doing is they're starting to add the surcharges in. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you have any problem with this? You know, given everything that, that's going on, and, of course, I guess the argument is, well, all right, yeah, I, I feel bad for the, the restaurant. I feel bad for this particular service provider. But at the same time, as we say, you know, a, a lot of people are in this situation. You know, a lot of people, you know, ended up losing their job or been furloughed or had to take pay cuts. So is it fair to expect them to pay the surcharge? Because they've been hit too. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you object to being asked to pay a, a surcharge? Todd in Milwaukee. Todd, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hi. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. I was on yesterday also. Strongly. Um, I work in food service. I've been in it over 35 years. I don't mind as long as I'm told up front that this is what we're doing, this is what we're charging. I think people would be upset to see it on the bill after the fact. So if you tell me up front, I'm fine with it. I understand. Right, so you know, either putting it on the menu or putting a, it, let's talk about a restaurant, putting it on the menu or putting the sign up in front saying, you know, we're adding, we're adding two percent to all bills because of you know COVID nineteen or something like that. You don't mind paying; you just think it should be disclosed up front. Yes, sir. Exactly. As long as it's disclosed, I'd be fine with it. Right. Now, thanks for your call. I appreciate it. By the by, the way, I I agree with you. Um, I I think that that's the. 
that's the key. I think businesses get to charge you know what they want to charge, but I do think that there there needs to be if you're gonna if you're gonna do something out of the ordinary, I, I think that there there should certainly be a disclosure to it, and that then allows people to make the decision as to whether you know they want to participate or not. All right, let me take a quick break. Give uh, Gru a chance to line up a couple more calls. We're back with that in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. <laughs> 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's do a couple of texts before we go to the calls. Yeah, Jeff, I have no problem with COVID surcharges. They are no different than what delivery companies like UPS and FedEx did when fuel prices were extra high a few years ago. Yeah, that, that's correct. Remember, there were, I mean, I remember the guy that, that cut my lawn. They had a, they had a surcharge because they were paying stupid money for gas. Surcharges, to continue, allow quickly raising prices for a temporary period of unexpected increased costs from circumstances beyond the business's control. Um, okay, let's talk about, uh, let's see, Jeff, have you ever been to a grocery store lately? Our food bill is going way up. Nothing wrong with increased pricing to make it a go. It's just that sur- it's just that surcharge is a, a dirty word. Jeff, I work at a seasonal nonprofit summer camp. We might have to add a fee on top of the tuition fee to factor in the cost of buying boxed or prepackaged meals for 800 elementary-aged campers. Right, that, that's the idea. Um, one of the areas where at least across the country people are, are adding surcharges is, is um, for, like, uh, hair salons and, and barbers, they're, they're – it's like a surcharge for a, a cleaning cost, and the explanation is, okay, now you have to, after every customer, there's a there's a process that you have to use, you know, to, to clean down and disinfect the thing for the next customer. And so I, I guess I come back to this, and I think as long as you're disclosing it. That that's the thing. As long as as long as it's it's upfront. Hey, this is what it's going to be, and this is what it's going to be for. To, to me, that that's fine. And then you can decide: Am I going to go into the restaurant and order? Am I going to go? Do I do I care about enough about that three dollars that I'm going to not go to my my barber or hairdresser or whatever? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I would rather. Um do this and have the restaurants close or get a cheeseburger enriched with COVID-19. But (laughs) um, I don't want the fee to be excessive and I would want uh, this to be temporary and not something like the Miller Park tax where it's just indefinite for too long a period of time. Well, right, that's one of the reasons why I like calling it a surcharge as opposed to raising prices. Some people might say, well, why don't you just raise the prices? But that's more of a permanent sort of thing. If this, if this legitimately is something to cover additional costs for a temporary period of time, call it a surcharge, and then hopefully you'll be able to take the surcharge off as opposed to, like, permanently charging an extra three bucks for that cheeseburger. Like your colleague Scott Warris says, names do matter. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I was on Warris' show on, on Saturday night. He, he was kind of funny because he said, you know, we, his lead-in was, well, you know, we've been you know, kind of pulling back the curtain and have been inviting on-air people to, to come on and talk. And we, we've been doing this for the last six or seven weeks, and here's Jeff Wagner. I'm thinking, wait, you know, six or seven weeks, but, but did everybody else cancel on you that you ended up, by, I'm down the list? But it was a good conversation. Scott Warris is a great guy. He's going to be a star in this industry. Bill and Oconomowoc. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I, I think the surcharge is good. I think no matter what you call it, I think it's wonderful because our country's been through a lot. 
and if we're in a position to afford a cheeseburger or whatever, um, we're probably in a position to pay a little more, and we do it graciously to help out those that don't, because there's many people right now that can't buy that cheeseburger. So if we have, you know, we're a community. We're not individuals. So that's my story, as they say. And I just think we need to look out for fellow man, especially right now. Thank you. Yeah, no, right. No, thanks for calling. Again, I, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't have a, a problem with it. You know, I mean, I don't have a problem with it one way or, or the other. And it's one of the things that, as we've been getting back to normal, because I am, as, as I've said, for for some people, I, I understand that that what we've been going through over the course of the last couple months is, in some respects, a life or death sort of thing. Not not just the fear of getting sick or maybe getting sick, losing your job, you know, not knowing where the next meal is going to be paid for, you know, worried about the rent, all those things. There's there's a lot of people that are in that situation. There's others of us who it's an inconvenience. And I, I think one of the commitments we have, and this isn't me going Hillary Clinton and saying it takes a village, but one of the things is that I think in an effort to try to help people get back on their feet or or whatever, I you know I don't think there's anything wrong with being generous with tips if you can afford to do that or gratuities and and if if it's a deal if it helps the the the, the woman who cuts my hair if it helps her to you know get over the fact that she's not had any income for the last couple months and she thinks it's appropriate to charge rate razor rates an extra couple bucks or you know charge a surcharge because now she's got to have more expenses I'm cool with that and I think most people are Back with much more in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Look, I, I understand we can agree or disagree about whether or not Governor Evers overreacted, underreacted in closing down the state and then refusing to open it up. Uh, That's an issue. And and I guess reasonable people can disagree. One of the things that I don't think we can disagree about is the fact that the way the state has handled unemployment and unemployment compensation has been nothing short of appalling. Now, it, it may be that the system was just completely and totally overwhelmed, but I think it's fair to say that the state did not do a good job of anticipating what was going to happen and did a lousy job of if if you need more people to process the claims well you know what why didn't we draft a bunch of other state employees who weren't doing their jobs were still getting paid why didn't we get them or in early and, and get them trained and help them answer people's phone calls our number by the way 855-616-1620 that's the Acunet mortgage talk and text line if you have been one of those people that have been caught up in the unemployment compensation mess I, I i my question is is it getting any better are, are problems getting solved let me share let me share an email i j- just received and we've talked about this once or twice over the course of the last couple months jeff i'm writing to you as i am one of those who cannot get a hold of anyone to assist in my unemployment situation all right i i was let go from an employer in November of 2018. Initially, I was denied unemployment compensation. I appealed in January of 2019. Now, it's January of 2019. I appealed, went through the whole process. I won the appeal and was paid six of the nine weeks I was unemployed. All right? I found a job in January of 2019. That should have been the end of the story. 
All right, well, here's the problem. I was furloughed 50% in March 2020, March of this year, due to COVID-19. As directed by my employer, I applied for unemployment benefits. I was approved by unemployment and by my employer both. I have yet to receive a single penny eight weeks later. And this is, she tells me, ended up happening. All right, um, apparently what happened is when I applied this year for my unemployment, it turns out that no one at the unemployment office properly closed my former appeal from a year and a half ago. So my old appeal is pending. I have the letter in my hand showing I won the appeal dated January 25th, 2019, and it should have been closed 17 months ago. The status in my unemployment file today reads approved pending prior issues. Now my company is downsized and my job has been eliminated. Still no benefits paid. I have emailed twice a day, every day. I have faxed to every unemployment office in Wisconsin, six faxes total. I have called, I swear, no less than 200 times. I call every day. I have physically gone to two offices. I cannot get a hold of anyone to assist. It says judicatory. I don't even know that's a word. To be assigned. It says a judicatory is to be assigned. What? Who? I contacted the appeal office, and they said they properly sent a letter to close this last year, January of 2019. I know. I possess a copy of that letter, which was also sent to unemployment. Someone did not properly close out my old file, and this has stopped my benefits from becoming paid. I cannot get anyone to help. Please help. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It, it seems that this lady is completely and totally caught up in in the bureaucracy. And given everything that's going on, she, she just can't get out of it. And so, as a result, for the last couple months, she's entitled to unemployment comp, and she's not getting it. And she can't get anybody to answer her emails, and she can't get anybody to answer her visits, and she can't get anybody to answer the phone calls, and, and she's she's stuck. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My guess is that there's a lot of people, maybe not in this particular situation, but in, in the same sort of thing. The, the sense that I have gotten is that if it's, if it's a perfectly clean case, and, and you've you know never applied before, and there's no questions. Typically, there, there's a delay maybe in, because, again, of the number of the applications. But, you know, for people, particularly people, that there's any sort of question at all, it, my, my sense is this sound, it's, it's like this nightmare. And I don't think the, the boat that this lady is in is necessarily in one that's different than a lot of people are in, and that's unacceptable. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. If you've been dealing with unemployment, and how has the experience been? We all know it was slow in the beginning, in part because the system was just completely overwhelmed. They say it's getting better. They say they're on top of it. Are they? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This handling unemployment has just been a train wreck. 
And I think it's, and I understand part of it is the system was overwhelmed, but let's face it, I, they've done a lousy job of trying to dig out. Before we get the calls, let me just share a couple of texts here. Jeff, my wife is a self-employed hairdresser, just went back to work yesterday, still has not received a dollar in assistance. Our savings have been depleted, hoping to see that money sometime. Jeff applied nine weeks ago, nothing. Um, uh, Jeff, everything the lady says is true. I even spoke with one of our elected official staff members. Um, even if you have a perfect case that's clear, if you're stuck in the old computer system, you're in trouble. Jeff, I was furloughed from work March 13, 2020 until May 1st. I applied for unemployment compensation on March 13th. I have yet to see a dime as of today. Jeff, I'm still waiting. I've not received anything at all. Jeff, people with simple, straightforward situations are getting their benefits, but those with anything else are typically getting a frustrating runaround. Um, seems that the governor has bragged beefed up call center resources, but what's long overdue is more trained, qualified staff to investigate and process the more complex claims. Enough is enough. Jeff, day 57 for me, waiting for adjudication. After over 2,000 calls, I did get through, but they did not have the power to help. have sent five emails, no response. My former employer is not contesting my claim. It is incredibly um, frustrating. And then, Jeff, can you imagine if the government was running health care? 855-616-1620. Uh, Dennis in Appleton. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, I, um, I've been off since April 3rd, and... When I applied, I did get my check right away, but then um, I had a, a question on my claim and trying to get through, I would call the number from as soon as they would open in the morning all through the day till they closed in the evening. All I would get is a busy signal, and then it, you get the uh, message, uh, all lines are busy, and we've reached the number of calls that we can put on hold. And it, I feel, I, I guess I'm lucky compared to some of these texts that you just read with people that haven't yeah. gotten anything yet. But it's just, yeah. you know, we're, we're two and a half months into this thing. They should, they should have something set up where at least they can take a message and, and put you in a queue and say, we'll get back to you, you know, so at least, at least then, you know, yeah. they've heard from you anyway. Well, well, right, like, like, the, like, the, like the real world, like the private sector does, okay, all our lines are busy now, leave a message, you know, the way, and we will call you back, there's a three-hour wait time, we will call you back between 5 and 6 o'clock, or, or whatever, and then, then you at least know that you have a chance of talking to somebody. I mean, I've heard these horror stories about people who, you know, wait, and it rings, and it rings, and it rings, and it gets, they, get, they get put on hold, and after 45 minutes, they get hung up on. I mean, that's, that's just not acceptable when you're talking about... I don't know, money that people need desperately because they've lost their job through no fault of their own. Oh, exactly. And I talked to somebody from the Department of Workforce Development, which is another branch, and, and they said that the unemployment, uh, their system is so antiquated that, you know, then yeah. this came along and, and just crushed it, and they just they haven't come up with anything yet. And I just I don't understand what. You know, it's 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 like like your text message that you read before. I'm I'm, you know, can't wait till the government uh, runs healthcare. <laughs> yeah, th thanks for the call. I, you know, I appreciate it. No, no, no. You're you're right. You know, it it, it is interesting. Um, I mean, the Journal Sentinel has a piece. They're, they're trying to explain how this this has happened, and they say, okay, the computer system the state uses for unemployment claims goes back to the 1970s. Programmers cannot make multiple changes to it simultaneously. It causing delays. 
Um, then there's something else. The story in the Journal Sentinel talks about how, okay, after, after claimants enter their information into an online portal, so you go online, you, you enter it, state workers must manually re-enter it into a separate system and then review their 2019 income to determine whether they qualify for the new program. Only then can payments be made. All right, if that is in fact the case, what could be a dumber system than that? You go now. Now, just imag- imagine this. Uh, okay, let's say you you do online ordering. I ordered something online yesterday. Small small thing. So I'd never done business with the company before. So I go online and you you fill out the the order form and then it comes to that they want your information. So you put your name, you put your address in, you put your credit card information. You hit buy now. The thing little circles so it checks to make sure that the address and the credit card is good. And then you get this note saying, "Okay, thank you. It's all been processed. You know, you'll get this thing whenever you're going to get it." Okay, that that's all great. Apparently with the state you go into online, you enter all that information yourself, and then what happens is somebody in Madison has to look at the information that you've already entered and then re-enter it, retype everything that you've already typed into a separate screen. How dumb is that? And again, I, I don't want to place blame, whether it's Jim Doyle's fault or Scott Walker's fault or Tony Evers' fault, but just... How, how dumb could that possibly be that, that you could have a system like that where you have this complete and total duplication of, of effort? It, it is 2020. You would think that in the state of Wisconsin, you would have a computer system where once you enter the information, the only time the state employee would have to get involved is, is verifying that the information is correct. I, I get that or doing a follow-up if there's some error that, that turns up. But to sit there and they say they have to re-enter the same information, they've got to recopy that, how crazy is that? Just how crazy is it? Let's talk to Eric in Wauwatosa. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, so back in mid-March, I got laid off from my job at a bakery. Um, before that, I had been an Uber driver for two years. So I really okay. had no work history for the department uh, workforce uh, for my unemployment. Um, but I was pretty much approved right away, got my first payment two weeks later. Um, my wife was laid off from a bakery a month later. Um, she made her claims, got it right away. Um, but in the meantime, all of our coworkers were just sitting pretty, waiting with pending claims still to this day. Um wow. So I've been back to work for nearly a month now, um, was laid off again last week because we're just not getting the right numbers. Um, and I preemptively just decided that I have to reapply an initial claim for unemployment. And I got a letter just recently saying that I had been approved again and I'll be seeing my payments again in another week. <laughs> so it's making me wonder, like, what if there's some sort of bias happening within the system here? Because I don't understand how I've gotten so lucky, and my wife has too, but everyone else is just, you know, yeah. having bad luck here. I, well, I, I, I don't know that luck. I'd, I'd roll with it, though. I mean, I'd, I'd roll with it. Hey, before you go, let me ask you about, so you're an Uber driver, and you're, you're just, the, the volume is, they just don't need Uber drivers. Is that what you're saying, that the volume is just so far down that they can't, they can't employ in enough people, yeah. they can't employ the people they used to have? No, no, I, I was an Uber driver for two years. I haven't been an Uber okay. driver in a little over a year. So okay. I was working at 
a bakery for a year. So oh, God. it just seemed okay. weird that my regular employment history was good enough to actually get unemployment right away. <laughs> as opposed right. to other people who had been with my job for years and years. Understood. Got it. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Yeah. It. It. And look. And I. There, there's a lot of blame to go around. And and I understand that you're dealing with antiquated systems. And part of the thing that happened was nobody anticipated this type of massive unemployment. Nobody anticipated that the government would order all these private businesses shut down, and that the government doing this and concerns about the pandemic would have this ripple effect that just went through all these different industries. So I I mean, I understand this was a unique type of thing. Where I think it is fair to be critical is the fact that once this happened, it, it is you, you can you should immediately see that okay we we've got this problem here and you know the the first week or two once you start to see all these claims coming in that's the point that you go into it seems to me triage and we say all right we we don't have enough people to handle this so what we got to do is we got to get more people it's sort of like what they did in Madison with the poll workers and you know it, Madison recognized for the April election that there was going to be an election they recognized that hey we're we're, we're not going to have enough poll workers so what's let's do is let's go let's take all these other local employees who you know are are laid off or not for but they're getting paid but they're not doing their jobs let let's let's get them in here let's draft them they're going to be poll workers let's see if we can reach out and find other people they're going to be poll workers we're going to be able to not have every polling place open but we're able to have two-thirds that's how they handled it milwaukee on the other hand just kind of twiddled its thumbs and said okay well, we can only have five all right th- that was mismanagement madison handled it appropriately this is another thing that i, I think early on they should have recognized the scope of the problem they had and adapted. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who are being victimized by this because they're, they, they've got rent that's going to be due soon. They've got phone bills. They've got electric bills. They've got food bills to buy. They've got car payments to make. They're entitled to the unemployment, and they're caught up in this bureaucratic system that's not doing anything for them. And that, I think, is unacceptable. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.